God, today we ask you to hear our prayers. We ask for healing. In a day where we are so connected to the world, set us apart. In a time of great unrest and uncertainty, we ask for holiness. So search our hearts, renew our minds, and help us love like you love us. Make us holy. Use us to do your will on this earth. God, today we ask that you would restore us. Gather up the bits and pieces of our souls and mend them with your loving hand. Search out those parts that we try to hide from you. Today, God, we invite you in. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. We trust you. May we be set apart for you. May we be holy. It's great to have you worshiping with us, and I want to tell you how excited I am sometimes when I hear someone uh, that I am either traveling next to or I engage in conversation with when they tell me that they know Jesus. That's just an encouraging thing to have them say, yeah, I know Jesus too. But I also want to tell you that in conversations, I have been wholly terrified when someone says that they know Jesus as well. Why would I bring that up to you this morning? Why would I be talking about that? And what I want to tell you this morning is, is we are going to be going through 2 Peter over the next several weeks. Last week, we began with the first 11 verses talking about the importance of our salvation, the preciousness of our salvation, and then essentially in recognizing the joy and the gift that we have, adding to our salvation, moving toward holiness or being set apart or sanctified for God. So this morning, I'm coming before you and I'm saying, why would I be excited when I hear somebody talk about Jesus, but why would I also be terrified when I hear them talk about Jesus? And that's simply this. Friends, what I want to tell you this morning is it's not just enough to say, I know Jesus. What I'm going to tell you is, is the next question that should be asked is, well, what Jesus do you know? Who is God to you? Because oftentimes what I've discovered in talking to people is they say, oh yeah, I know Jesus. He's a good guy. He's a good moral teacher. He did good things and he teaches people how to be better. But the Bible, the scriptures, ah, yeah, those are old. They're outdated. They're not real. Or they might say, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I also put him with a variety of other gods. So he's one of many. Or better yet, one of the greatest things that we're seeing today is, is, oh, I believe in Jesus, but we're embracing this doctrine known as progressive Christianity. And friends, the minute that you hear progressive Christianity, the hairs on the back of your head should stand up and say, there's nothing progressive about the Christian faith. Jesus has come, he's lived, he's died. We have the Holy Scriptures. We have the Word of God who say who Jesus is, what he has done, is doing, and will do for our lives. We don't need to progress at all. Christianity doesn't develop. It doesn't evolve. It doesn't become more. 
It is done. It's signed, sealed, and delivered. And so this morning, I'm throwing this out to you for all of us to begin to cause question to say, when we believe in Jesus, what Jesus is it that we do believe in? If you have your Bibles with you, I want to encourage you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. And in this, before we move into these verses, I want to lay a bit of context for us and bring some of you that were not with us last week up to speed. First and foremost, Peter is writing in and around 64 to 67 AD. And it's important to recognize that Peter has now been imprisoned for his faith. This essentially, this writing to the church in 2 Peter is his swan song. He recognizes that his life is coming to an end, and quite soon, most likely, as he had discovered, which we will talk about in a moment in the context of this passage, what has been said to him by Jesus is about to come true. He is about to become a martyr for the Christian faith. And so what he is doing in 2 Peter is he is writing to the church about internal false teaching that he has become concerned of. He's writing to the church to say, beware of this. Don't turn from the faith that you have been given. 1 Peter essentially is a book that's writing to external forces of persecution upon the church. 2 Peter is writing to the church saying, beware. Beware of false teaching. Beware of people coming forward and saying, I believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in the Jesus of the Word. That's where we are this morning. And so if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to take a minute, and I'd like to start off with a simple question. Is your faith grounded in Jesus Christ and the Word of God? And I'm going to pause there for a minute. Because oftentimes we can say, oh yeah, sure it is. But what I want to re-emphasize is this. Is your faith grounded in Jesus Christ and the Word of God? What we have in front of us, the 66 books of the Bible, the inspired Word of God, what has been written and stated, is your faith in Jesus Christ and the Word of God? Because, friends, oftentimes what I see is is people want a whole lot of Jesus, but they want very little of the Jesus of the Bible. Oftentimes individuals will come forward and they'll say, oh, the scriptures, they're outdated. Or they'll look and they'll say, you know, I look at the Bible and I don't think Jesus would have said those things. Hence the beginning of the Jesus movement, which is moving forward and saying, let's look and let's strike out what we think Jesus would not have said. And we're going to come up with our own Bible. And friends, what I'm going to tell you is that's why when I have conversations with individuals who say, I know Jesus, and then they begin to say those things, I become terrified. Because in a moment, what we're going to discover is what we have in Scripture is divinely inspired by God through the leading of the Holy Spirit to the authors that are there to reveal God to us so that we know who God is. There's no error. There's no other books that need to be discovered. What's there doesn't need to be refined or erased or removed. If you want Jesus, then you want the Jesus of Scripture. If you don't want the Jesus of Scripture, then I lovingly tell you, you don't want Jesus. 
And I'm saying that lovingly but quite seriously because Peter is saying the exact same thing to members of the church of which he's become concerned about. They're coming forward and they're saying, oh, Jesus this, but not Jesus that. And friends, what I want to tell you is, is that's exactly how the enemy comes in and begins to turn the church away from the divinely inspired word of God, which is his revelation to us about who Jesus is. And so I ask again, is your faith grounded in Jesus Christ and the word of God? Quickly, I'm going to move forward, and I want to just give you a brief summary, essentially, of the content of 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be examining verses 12 through 21 in a moment, but to help all of you understand where this argument is moving, I briefly want to say that essentially in the first four verses, Peter is exhorting us that we are to have a real faith. Essentially, what does that mean? Well, it means that following Jesus is not a religion. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's not a list of rights and wrongs. It's about an authentic relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's about knowing Him. It's about recognizing our need for a Savior. It's about realizing that we can't get to God on our own. It's about the very unpopular message, yet the real message, that all of us are dead in our sin, and we cannot get to God on our own. Therefore, God in his love and his mercy and his grace gave us his son, Jesus, being fully God and fully man, to come to this earth on a mission. That mission was to go to the cross, to die upon it, to atone or pay for our sins. So that by doing so, being the perfect atonement or sacrifice, our sins are fully paid for. He then, as we celebrate in Easter, triumphs over sin and death, rises from the grave, demonstrating that sin and death have no victory over him, that he is essentially the fulfillment of the Old Testament, and that he has started, essentially, or fulfilled the old, hence we now have the new. We also know in Scripture, as it tells us, that Jesus is around after his death, demonstrating indeed that he had triumphed over it for 40 days, and then he ascends into heaven and now is seated at the right hand of the Father. And at the appropriate time that only the Father knows, Jesus will come again to collect his church or the bride of Christ, which are you and I, believers in Jesus of the Bible. That's what's going on. And so first and foremost, friends, what I ask you is, do you have a real faith? Is your faith in Jesus relationally with, essentially, the God of Scripture? But the next thing to prove that, for lack of a better word, to demonstrate that, yes, you do have an authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, is the next aspect that we see in verses 5 through 11. And that's where Peter exhorts us that we are to have a growing faith. What does that mean? Friends, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. It doesn't mean that we have to be sinless. But what I ask is this. After having encountered Jesus, putting your faith and trust in him, whenever that was, 
Are you relying on that day and that day alone saying, you know what, I was saved back in high school or I was saved back when I was a kid, but I haven't really changed since then. I'm not God. I'm not judge. But what I'm going to ask simply is, if that's the case, did you have a real encounter with Christ? Because if you did, as Peter exhorts, that encounter will change you. It will cause you to have what we say is a growing faith, adding to our faith, as Peter uh, encourages, goodness, graciousness, mercy, love, moving in a direction of selfless sacrifice or the image of Christ, rather than saying, you know what, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Jesus, get my hell insurance, get saved, and then keep living my life how I want it, when I want, and where I want, and telling God what to do, how I want, and when I want. And when he doesn't, not believe in him because he can't be God. Because God exists to serve me. I don't exist to serve God. So friends, that's the gist, essentially, of this first part of 2 Peter chapter 1. Do we have a real faith? faith? And then next, do we have a growing faith? But then Peter continues on, and he's moving toward, essentially, the main point of this book, which is chapter 2, which is to discuss combating false teachers or false doctrine. So before he does that, he says in the verses that we're going to examine, do we have a grounded faith? Do we have an anchor to our faith? And when our faith is tested, when our faith is pushed, when our faith is challenged, what do we resort back to? And friends, what I'm going to tell you is a lot of individuals are resorting back to popular books of the day popular Christian doctrine, but they're not resorting back to the scriptures. And what I'm going to encourage you this morning is this. The foundation of our faith should be the word of God. Anything else that is written should be examined by its continuity to the Word of God or its discontinuity to the Word of God. Anything that has discontinuity, even though it sounds good, even though it sounds pretty, even though it might be the most popular Christian book out there, it's false teaching. And friends, what I want to tell you is, is that's how we need to be living our lives. Examining, exhorting, and reviewing as Peter will say in a moment, the true aspect of our Christian faith. So, again, if you have your Bibles with you, we're going to look at verse 12, and we're going to end, essentially, at the uh, final part of chapter 1 of 2 Peter. Peter, again, having said we're to have a real faith and we're to have a growing faith in verses 1 through 11, now exhorts that we are to have a grounded faith. In verse 12, he says, So I will always remind you of these things, meaning what he just talked about earlier. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have, I think it is right to, notice, remind, 
refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things, speaking back essentially about what he just talked about in the first 11 verses. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from him, from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And now we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it as a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Friends, what is your faith grounded in? Number one, is it grounded in Jesus Christ? But number two, is it grounded in the Word of God? And what we're going to see here is Peter is saying, your faith needs to be grounded, but it needs to be grounded in Jesus, and it needs to be grounded in His Word. That's what we're going to examine today. So first and foremost, in the first three verses, 12 through 15, we must remind ourselves and others that we are to have a real and growing faith. Essentially, Peter is going back to those first 11 verses and just saying, let me remind you, may you remember, may you be refreshed in what you were taught, what we saw, what we know about Jesus. He says it three times. I don't think that Peter has a stuttering problem. I think Peter says it three times for emphasis. Let me remind you. Let me refresh you. Let me remind you, indeed, of what you remember. Why? Because, friends, it's only 64 or 67 AD. It's been about 30-some years since Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave. And already, individuals are coming forward and saying, you know, that Jesus... I don't know that he was fully God or fully man. I don't know that he really was the Messiah. I think he was good. I think he has a lot of good things to say. I think maybe he has some things to teach us, maybe ways that we could become better people. But I don't know that he was God in the flesh. I don't know that he really died to forgive us of our sins. I don't know that he's the true Messiah. Hence, friends, all of the other religions out there that focus around Jesus but deny the Jesus of Scripture. That's what Peter's talking about. And so in it, he says, let me remind you. May you remember. Now, how are you reminded? How are you remembering? Well, let's go back. Question, are you growing in your faith? Lovingly, this is, this is just, are you growing in your faith? What are you doing to grow in it? Are you examining the Scriptures? Are you looking at the Scriptures? Are you talking to people about your faith? Are you working and asking other believers, help me understand this, help me see this, what does this mean? 
Is your faith growing? Are you different? Or are you the same person that you were back in the day when you, quote unquote, were saved? Again, lovingly, I'm telling you, I'm not God. I'm not judge. But too often do people look back to, oh, I was saved back then. But then their life doesn't reflect the fact that indeed they had an encounter with the living God who gave them that salvation. Is your faith real? Are you growing in your faith? And is your faith being real and growing and grounded in Jesus and the Word of God? Because yes, essentially they're lineal. You need to be having a real faith. You need to be growing in your faith. You need to be grounded in the Word of God. But it's also circular. If your faith is real and it's growing and it's grounded, then your faith is going to become all the more real. All the more it's going to grow. All the more it's going to become grounded. And so in the first three verses, we must remind ourselves and others that we're to have a real and growing faith. Friends, this isn't legalism. This is just loving encouragement. How's your time with Jesus? Are you in his word? Are you looking and examining him? If you're wanting to know more about Jesus, lovingly, I'm going to tell you this. Examine your life. Examine the last month of your life. And how much time was spent in the Bible studying the Jesus of Scripture versus reading the most popular Christian books out there and saying, this must be what Jesus is all about. I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm not saying that those books are wrong. But what I'm saying that is wrong is if your faith is just reading about the popular books of Scripture and not examining what's being said with the Word of God, then your faith isn't grounded in the God of Scripture. And that's what Peter's saying. He continues on in verses 16 through 18, and he says, this real and growing faith, okay, is grounded, right, in the following things. Friends, I get it. You're going to place your faith, your trust, your entire life in something. You're going to put your belief in something. How do you know that what you're putting your faith in is real? Does anybody want to know that? I don't know about you, but if I'm going to put my faith into something that's going to change my life, I want to know, is it real or is this a hoax? And this is what Peter says. He says, this real and growing faith is grounded in the eyewitness account of Peter. What are we talking about here? So Peter continues on in verses 16 through 18, and he says this, We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Peter, in prison, is reflecting back onto the transfiguration. When he, James, and John went to the top of the mountain, and Jesus was transformed into his full glory. We see that, essentially, in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. That's where we're going. Jesus is saying, look, I'm not making this up. 
I saw this for myself. Now, think about this. How many of you have ever taken anything in the realm of legal law? Anybody? Okay. How many of you would like the idea of the whole fish story? Yep, I was out with my buddy, you know, we were fishing, it was great, I caught a fish, and it was this big, right? So let's talk about that for a minute, because oftentimes what people will say is, how do we know that this is true? And I love this, okay? How many of you are fans of Mark Twain? Okay, this is what Mark Twain says. He says, nothing spoils a good story like the arrival of an eyewitness, <laughs> right? The fish was this big. No, it wasn't. It was like this big, right? Oh, I was reeling this thing in, and oh man, you should have seen it at five. No, it didn't. The thing just practically jumped in the boat, right? I was there. Well, wait a minute, it's your word against mine. And the next person comes up and says, no, I was there too, and that's exactly what they're saying. Friends, we have an eyewitness account of Jesus being transformed into glory. Peter, James, and John. Three men who saw Jesus transfigured, and guess what? Moses and Elijah were there too, at the Mount of Transfiguration. That's what he's referring back to. I encourage you, in your scriptures, to go back and read that account again in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. Okay? In this, essentially, by being transformed, Jesus' message to them is, I came to suffer and die upon a cross for you. And that cross leads to glory. That's what I'm here to do. Right? And so, Jesus is transformed. They see him in his glory. They recognize that Jesus is fully man and fully God, and that Jesus is on a mission. Peter has had that experience. He's continued to walk with Jesus. We continue on Jesus' ministry. Jesus does his thing. He's obviously arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane. He's then crucified on the cross. In between the arrest and the crucifixion, Peter denies Jesus what? Three times. Peter's kind of saying, holy cow, I've struck out, right? My batting average is zero. And what happens? Jesus reinstates Peter. Jesus lives, dies, demonstrate that he's triumphed over sin and death. Peter sees this for himself. Jesus is now essentially ascended into heaven. And Peter's saying, look, I saw this with my very eyes. And so what I want to tell you is in the world of the Bible, as well as in our legal world, when you have an eyewitness account, I was there and this is what I saw. That carries huge amount of weight in the validity of the argument. But better yet, not only, for lack of a better word, can Peter come forward at the transfiguration and say, this is what I saw, but James and John can too. And so three individuals can come forward and say, this is what we saw. This is what happened. And then friends, remember too, that what we see after Jesus rising from the grave is he is on earth for 40 days in his glorified body. And Christians all over are saying, I saw it, I saw it, I recognize it. That's the whole aspect of the beginning of Acts. People are saying, I saw the resurrected Jesus. Eyewitness accounts. And so that's sort of the first aspect to, to encourage us that this isn't a fable or a myth or a story. So Peter's saying, look, what I want to tell you is this. We're not following cleverly invented stories. How many of you are fans of Star Wars? 
I love Star Wars. It's an awesome, awesome series. But I ain't going to find Tatooine. As great as it is, as awesome as that movie is, as much as I want to look and I want to find Tatooine, I'm never going to find it because it's a cleverly invented story. Point being said is Peter's saying, this isn't made up. This is an illusion. This isn't a myth or a fable or something to go along that's a good sounding feel good aspect. This is real. I saw this with my very own eyes. And so why am I putting emphasis on this? Friends, a couple of things. Number one, when you're sitting there and life is hard and things aren't going the way that they're supposed to go, or you feel that God has abandoned you, or you wonder if God loves you, or you wonder if his promises are true, and you begin to say, is this all just a fable? Is this all just something that's made up? Is this all something that just makes us feel good? Go back to here and say, no, this is real. Jesus is real. He lived, he died, so that I can have eternal life with him. And the reason he did is to bring me into his family. And because I've put my faith and trust in him, even though it's hard right now, even though I'm wondering where God is, I know that I am part of his family, and he has promised me an inheritance in his kingdom. Is your faith grounded on the Word of God? Because to be able to say that in humility yet with confidence comes from a real faith, a growing faith, and a grounded faith. Because believe me, as a pastor, when my week goes from going to someone who's excited about getting married to the very next moment hearing about someone who has just lost their daughter, there are times when I say, God, is this real? And I go back and I say, it is because I know you, I'm growing in you, and as hard as it is to go day by day with the ups and downs of life, which we all experience, my faith is grounded in you and your word and your promises. And I believe in Christ. That's what this is all about. And so Peter continues on and he says, We didn't follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We saw this for ourselves. For he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came from him. Essentially, God the Father saying to Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, just so you know, let me identify this, Peter, James, John, this is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Don't make any mistake about it. He's not a good guy. He's not a prophet among many. He's not a great moral teacher. This is the son of God, my son, Member, part of the doctrine of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, whom I love and am well pleased. Period. So when you go back and people begin to say, who was that Jesus? You can say, that is the Son of God. 
fully God, fully man. And all of those doctrines begin to fall into place. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. Notice that he says, we ourselves, Peter, James, and John. Back, obviously, at the transfiguration account, which is recorded in Matthew 17, Mark 9, and Luke 9. But also this, real quick. I don't know about you, but there are times in my life where I was, I'm just like, you know, I would just love, I'd just love to go get a big hug from Jesus. Anybody, anybody love that? Like, I, I would just love that. Now, the other side of that is, is I think I'd be terrified to see Jesus in all of his glory. I probably should be terrified to see Jesus in all of his glory. But friends, what I want to tell you is, is Peter goes on and he says, look, not only do we have the eyewitness account, but we also have something that's even better. We have the prophecy. Essentially, in the context, the Word of God, okay? Jesus is the Word of God. Peter is reflecting back, and he's saying, not only do we have the eyewitness account, but we now have the Scriptures, okay? In Peter's day, he's referring to, essentially, the Old Testament, which has been fulfilled by Jesus, and, essentially, the new writings that are being developed in the New Testament, the 66 books of the Bible, and this is what he says, essentially, that this real and growing faith is also grounded in the prophetic word of Scripture. I put little p, right? Not prophets. He's not just saying the prophets, although that's included. I believe the context of which Peter is speaking is the Scriptures, and my logic in that is he's referring back to the transfiguration where Moses, hence representing the law, and Elijah, hence representing the prophets, were present. So he's saying, the scriptures. We have this. And then he continues on, and he says this. We have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it. Friends, can I ask a question? How many of us are doing well by paying attention to the word of God? As a light shining in a dark place. What breaks through the darkness? The Word of God, the Holy Scriptures. Popular books out there, I'm not dissing them. They're good to help us grow, understand, reflect on our faith. But lovingly, what I want to tell you is this. If your faith is grounded more in the popular books of the day than it is in the Word of God, lovingly, I'm going to say, flip that ratio. Flip that relationship. The Word of God should be what you're grounded on. And as you read these popular books, you should be able to say, yeah, you know, that sounds pretty. That sounds nice. That sounds warm and fuzzy, but it doesn't reflect what Scripture says. He continues on and he says, Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Essentially, he's reflecting to until Christ comes again. Until all is revealed. 
And then he says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you guys, if you have time, to spend a lot of time in those final verses because there is a huge amount of extremely important doctrine in the faith as you look at those verses. Do not pass over them lightly. What are we talking about? Well, quickly, but as best as I can, we're talking about the revelation and the inspiration of the Word of God as revealed to us via men being led by God via the power of the Holy Spirit. We'll speak to that in just a minute. But to help you understand, how did we get the Word of God? How do we know that it's His Word, and how do we know that it's real? Anybody want to know that? Because again, it's great to have an eyewitness account. It's wonderful to recognize that Peter, James, and John saw Jesus, and this is what happened. But how many of us look and say, how do we know that this is real? How do we know that this really is God speaking? How do we know that it hasn't been changed? How do we know that what we have today is what actually God said back in the day? Anybody want to know that? I do. And so what Peter is saying, first and foremost, is the word of God and the prophets are made more certain. He is looking, and he is looking at what has been written in the Old Testament, and he is saying, as I look and see Jesus, as I recognize who he was, what he did, and what he is going to do, I'm here to tell you that he is the Messiah. He is the real deal. And as I'm looking back on this, I am in the sunset of my day, as I'm going to be persecuted, trying to tell you, don't fall for false doctrine. Because interestingly enough, as joyous as the transfiguration event is, Jesus turns to Peter and he says, I need you to know, you're going to die. I don't know about you, but how many of you would like to be Peter? You get to see Jesus you get to see him in all of his glory. You get to see what his mission is. And then all of a sudden, Jesus says, oh yeah, here's the deal. Buzzkill, by the way, Peter, you're going to die. Well, okay, sure, I'm going to die. No, you're, you're, you're going to be martyred for your faith. That's what Peter's talking about when he's reflecting back on what he saw at the Mount of Transfiguration. Church tradition says that Peter was crucified, which is what was predicted by Jesus in scriptures. But church tradition says that Peter was crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to be crucified as Jesus was. That's what happened to Peter. And so Peter essentially is saying, look, I'm here to tell you that the Word of God, as I've seen it, holds true. It is real. And then he says, also, it isn't that guys just made this up. But these people who brought about the Old Testament and these individuals who are bringing about the New Testament are speaking the Word of God. How? 
how did this happen? First and foremost, I'm going to just give you a quote by Charles Ryrie. He was a professor of systematic theology and the dean of doctoral studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. He's also the editor and essentially the, the main author of the Ryrie Study Bible. And speaking to inspiration, how did the Bible get to us? This is what he says. Inspiration is God's superintendence. So God essentially administering, superintending of human authors. So people... So that, using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error his revelation to man in the words of the original autographs. What does that mean? That throughout the 66 books of the Bible, over the centuries that the Bible was revealed to man, over different cultures and different individuals, different places, and different settings. God divinely spoke to individuals to write and reveal who he was through the doctrine of the Trinity, the third person of the Holy Spirit. And interestingly enough, notice this. It says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along. The word there actually is a word that speaks to the breath or the wind of pushing a sail forward. Interestingly enough, what do we know about Pentecost? The spirit or the breath of God comes and indwells believers. What's going on here is Peter is saying that the Bible was written by God carrying men along via the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit to write down what God was saying, yet while allowing their individual personalities to reflect the reality of who God is, but doing so without error. What does that mean? Well, first and foremost, just real quick, it doesn't mean that all of a sudden, when people were writing the word, right, like trans uh, not transformers, like Terminator, right, that the Terminator kind of comes in and like takes them over, right, and then they're forced to write as God is telling them what to do. But it also means that these individuals just didn't come up and say, you know, I want to write about God, and so I'm just going to write about what I want to do, and I'm just going to want to say what I want to say because I think that's good. God utilized their humanness via the power of the Holy Spirit to write down what God wanted to say and reveal to man without error. In the words of the original autographs, and don't miss that. So, real fast in this, what are two elements of inspiration? First and foremost, it's divine authorship. When we speak about inspiration, we must recognize that there is divine authorship. But number two, that there's human involvement. However, the result is God's very words being recorded without error. Even though there's human involvement, it isn't that these people went off script. It isn't that they said, yeah, 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 God, I got that, whatever. You know, I don't really like what you said there, so I'm just going to edit it to what I want to do. Where do we see this? We see this acknowledged in 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is what? God breathed. All scripture is God breathed. For the purpose of what? Taking what we want, using what we want, seeing what we want, and throwing out what we don't like? 
No. For the purpose of correcting, rebuking, encouraging one another and admonishing them in the word. Not part, not some, but all. All 66 books of the canon of scripture are inspired by God who led human authors via the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to man. So if you want to know Jesus, if you want to know God, if you want to know and understand who he is, have a real faith in him, have a growing faith in him, and have a grounding faith in him, what I want to tell you is this. Turn to the word of God. The next thing that I want to tell you is this. For those of you that are interested, if, if any of you would like, I just want to throw up a, res a resource for you. It's down at the bottom there. Um, Wayne Grudem, if you know him, excellent. He's essentially uh, kind of the guru of systematic theology. But what I would say is this. If you'd like, come to me some point, and I can... Uh, essentially photocopy this, but it's the essential teachings of the Christian faith, the authority and the inerrancy of the Bible, pages 33 through 49. And where I'm going with this is, is as you read this, lovingly what I want to tell you is, you will see how important it is to have a grounded faith in the authority of the Bible. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is to trust and recognize that the Bible is the Word of God, that what is written is real. What is there has been authenticated. Earlier I said I'd love to go and visit Tatooine or whatever, you know, Naboo or whatever. I can't. But what we see in Scripture is when they're talking about places, when they're talking about events, archaeologists have gone back and they've looked and they realize that the places that are being talked about exist. Better yet, the people that they're talking about exist. And sort of the nail in the coffin is that extra-biblical sources, people who were not involved in, quote-unquote, the Christian movement of the day, are acknowledging that there was an individual named Jesus who lived on this earth. Friends, it takes, lovingly, it takes more faith to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. Because the evidence surrounds itself that indeed Jesus was real, there were eyewitnesses account, what happened occurred, that the Bible is real, that what written is in here isn't coercion, it's inspired by God. And then, just real quick, to help us see, I know I'm going a little bit longer than I should, I'm trying to do the best I can, is how do we know that the Bible isn't changed. Anybody like the telephone game? Okay. Uh, we love the telephone game, right? Okay, the house is blue on Tuesday in the afternoon. And we go through, and the next thing you know, it's like the Hawkeyes just beat Penn State. Right? Congratulations. <laughs> right? Okay. How did it change? How do we know that what's being said there is real? Friends, there's an aspect called textual criticism. And as we go back and as we look at the original documents as they're being continued to be discovered, what we're realizing is as this evidence archaeologically is being found, that what's been written in the time that it was written coincides extremely close to what we have today to the point of about 99.6% accuracy. I don't know about you, but over 2,000 years, to have something coincide to 99.6% accuracy 
in my humble opinion, isn't luck. It's that the Bible is divinely inspired by God and it is being carried along by God to be accurate to this day. And I know your next question. What's the 0.4%? Right? What's the 0.4%? Is there something out there that maybe we're missing? Maybe that 0.4% is that Jesus was abducted by aliens and he's coming back like so many movies that we see. Friends, the 0.4% inaccuracy is either missing of a comma, missing of a period, maybe a plural when it should be singular, or maybe sometimes as individuals were carrying this along, they move accidentally one word from one line to another. 0.4%. The other thing is, is how do we know that it's real? Friends, here's what I want to tell you. How many of you have ever read Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey? Okay, do you believe what's written there is real? Thank you. I see your faces. If you believe that what's written in Homer's Iliad and Odyssey is real, okay, this is going to blow your minds. Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey has only a few what we call attested documents, meaning continued documents that demonstrate that what was originally written is what's written today. Just a few. If you take the documents of the Christian faith, what was written back in the day to what is there, and you stack them up. What's the, uh, I'm forgetting, what's the tallest building in, uh, in the world? In uh, the, uh, oh shoot, the Burj Khalifa, I think. Those documents will stack higher than that tower. So here's the thing. You have all of those documents, right? to look through to discover if there's an error. You look through all of those documents, you're going to discover that you're only 0.4% off from what was originally written. Is your faith grounded in the Word of God? This morning we've talked, I've gone a little bit longer, but what I want to encourage you in is Peter is exhorting and admonishing the church to say, do you have a real faith? Do you have a growing faith? And is your faith grounded? Why? Because if you turn, and that's the hard part, recognize in Scripture, we've broken them up into chapters. When it was originally written, there were no chapters, there were no verses. We've just done that so we can study it. But the very next part of this, which we're going to talk about next week, is this. But, Okay, why is Peter doing this? Is he just doing it because Pastor Trevor needed a sermon in 2021, something to write about? No, he says, but there are also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. Come, let me tell you all about Jesus. Come, let me know. Let me tell you that you're fine. All is good. Jesus exists so that you can have a better life. You can be a better you. You can be wealthier. You can be happier. You can be a better person. That sounds really good, doesn't it? That's false teaching. Jesus came because you're dead in your sin. Jesus came because you cannot get to heaven on your own. Jesus came because we have no way to get there. But by the love of God, Jesus died on the cross so that by doing so and placing our faith and trust in Him, we can have eternal life and become part of God's family. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Jesus will return. Jesus is coming. 
Again, Jesus is playing with my microphone. <laughs> Do you believe that? The other thing is, do you believe that what is written in Scripture is profitable for teaching, preaching, correction, rebuke, and righteousness? Because what I'll tell you is the parts in Scripture aren't very popular in today's world. And the modern movement is to say, let's get popular and say, ah, Jesus didn't really say that. They didn't really mean that. That's not culturally relevant today. Let's remove it. Let's change it. And all I'm going to tell you is, do me a favor and go to the end of the Old Testament and read what a prophet says about changing the words of Scripture. Is your faith real? Is it growing? And is it grounded in Jesus and the Word of God? Friends, this is it. This is what I want to leave you with. May our real and growing faith be grounded upon the eyewitness accounts of the apostles and the inerrant Word of God. That's what Peter's talking about. For next week, because there are false teachers out there. There are people out there that are going to say, let me give you a whole lot of Jesus, but nothing of the Bible. And friends, what I want to tell you is that's false teaching. And that's what Peter is exhorting, saying, beware, be on guard. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. We thank you for Peter's teaching. Lord, I know that it is uh, obviously kind of in your face. I know that it is something that causes us to really look and say, where is our faith? Is it in Jesus? Are we growing in him? Are we allowing the word of God to permeate our hearts, our souls, and our lives? Are we allowing the word of God to be superior to us, to where we are submitting to its teachings or are we going to the Word of God saying, I want this, but not that. This is for me, but that isn't. This is relevant, but that's not. And Father, may we examine that. And in those areas, Lord, where we might be looking and saying, ah, look at this, but I'm not sure about that. I pray that the Holy Spirit would lovingly encourage, challenge, and convict us to recognize and realize that what we have is real. And that in that, as we look to discover more of who God is, more of the Jesus that we know and that we love, it would be through the scriptures, through the written word, rather than the popular, quote-unquote, teachings of the day. With that, Father, may we realize that we do have the word. We do have you revealed to us. Thank you that you're not a hiding God. Thank you that you're not an incomplete God. But if we want to know the great I am, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the maker and creator of heaven and earth, the one who died so that we might have life, we can turn to scripture. And as we read, we discover. As we grow, we learn. As we learn, we become more like Christ. As we become more like Christ, we shine more brightly for him. As we shine more brightly for him, others see Christ in us, and they want to know who is this God of scripture. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus, and we ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.